Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. I'm John Alois, and I'm joined by Sean Degenhart. Hi there. And John Rudling Schaefer. Hi, Octane Knight. <laughs> My tank is full. Whatever platform you're following us on, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Please leave us a review so more people find the show. You can even share it on social media and tag us. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Hub Hyperion. Email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. We like to kick things off with our Disney views, and I'm going to throw it over to Sean. Everyone knows that recently, Queen Elizabeth II passed away after serving 70 years on the throne, Great Britain's longest-serving monarch, uh, 96 years of age. There is a Disney connection. Um, there was a special called Winnie the Pooh and the Royal Adventure, a short clip where Pooh helped celebrate the Queen's 90th birthday, which would have been six years ago. Um, she also made a brief cameo appearance in Cars 2, uh, voiced by Vanessa Redgrave. Um, that Rolls Royce had a nice crown on it. So nice Disney connection there. And John, I think you've got a statement from the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, simple, but just so perfect. Uh, we joined those mourning the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and our thoughts and condolences are with her family, the people of the United Kingdom, and the Commonwealth. And Sean, I'm so glad you brought up the Winnie the Pooh, because if you look at Disney UK's Twitter feed, there's a wonderful drawing of her holding Winnie the Pooh's hand. Hmm. Very sweet, and she lived a long and wonderful life, and she served her people well. What an incredible weekend we had recently at the Peoria Riverfront Museum with Jeff Sherman visiting Peoria and uh, Sean, kudos to you for all that you did to help facilitate Absolutely. everything that happened. It was a magical Disney day in central Illinois. Um, we had uh, Jeff, we had the pleasure of sitting down and, and talking with him at the uh, museum. And then after that, a special showing of his and his cousin Greg's documentary, The Boys, The Sherman Brothers Story. And then following that, one of the most impressive community theater experiences I've ever had at Cornstalk Theater in Peoria, Illinois for Mary Poppins. Share your thoughts on the day. It was a magical weekend. So I picked Jeff up Friday afternoon in Peoria, and we had about a two-hour lunch um, after we got back um, from the airport, and just great to hear stories, and he was really excited about the weekend, and of course, then the um, time with, with the screening of the boys, the Sherman Brothers story, he provided a little context uh, before the screening, talked a little bit about how this screening came to be, how the documentary was created, uh, the relationship with him and his cousin Greg. And, and then after the documentary, uh, we had some Q&A. Uh, people from the audience were able to ask some questions, and he was really transparent with many of his answers. As kind of, well, I'll, I'll admit it, tangentially related to it because of the show, thank you for including me to be a part of this day, I enjoyed watching you guys. I also enjoyed watching the community watch and learn and participate in having someone like Jeff in town. I, I was proud to be a Central Illinoisan for this because there's an arts community. We all know it, especially those of us that are connected to it. But to see them come out in excitement and be there and want to 
participate. I, I've heard nothing but wonderful things. I didn't get to see the Q&A, but I, I just I loved watching the whole day transpire from kind of a peripheral side of things because it, it gave me, um, like I said, it gave me pride to be part of a community that really supports the arts. And, and I think Jeff really picked up, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I think he really picked up on how wonderful Central Illinois is in its support of all things, not only Disney, uh, but related to the arts. And it was the highest ticketed event at the Riverfront Museum. They said they sold the most tickets for this than anything else. So that was really exciting too. Yeah. And what a great opportunity for film buffs, for history right. fans, for Hollywood fans to have that chance to speak with Jeff at the museum. So speaking of the question and answer period following the film, we recorded that session and we'll play it for you now. Let's give Jeff Sherman another hand. Any questions? Do you have a favorite of their songs? Well, I have a couple. Obviously, Spoonful of Sugar because I had a little inadvertently had something to do with that. Uh, there's a song in Tom Sawyer called River Song, which was the title song of the movie. And I have to explain, when I went to Beverly Hills High School, and the movie was being shot in Arrow Rock, Missouri, this little town. Um, but every day, the dailies, the, the daily shooting, every time they would shoot stuff, they would send it back to 20th Century Fox, where the production office was. It was where John Williams was doing the scoring and everything. So I got permission to go after school every day and go and watch all this stuff. And one day my dad said to me, I want you to take off early from school today. I said, what are you going to Come on, because we're doing a session. I want you to come for this. And I went down. And uh, Arthur Jacobs, who produced all the Planet of the Apes movies, he was the producer. And he was, he was the one who invited me to come all the time. And so he opened up this box. And he had all these Tom Sawyer t-shirts. So I got the first one, and I put it on. And then they did the session with the opening credits of Tom Sawyer, where John Whitaker's running through Arrow Rock, Missouri, down to the river to see the steamboat. And the river song plays at the end of that. And so they recorded that. And then afterward, um, when, the, uh, when the musicians broke for lunch, this fellow walked in from the back of the sound stage, and it was Charlie Pride, the, the big country singer. And Charlie sang the song. And so um, the song is about uh, a little boy growing up, you know, it's about Tom Sawyer. So I had been looking at, I was, I was going to Beverly High, but I wanted to go back east to a prep school, and I had been applying and stuff. And so my dad, after uh, Charlie sang the song, there was a studio photographer there, and he said, hey, Charlie, can you come take a picture of me and my son? So I'm wearing my Tom Sawyer shirt, there's Charlie Pine, there's my dad. And after we took the picture, my dad said, I wrote that song for you. What did you learn most through the process of making the film? Like, uh, what was the surprise? And well, yeah, you know, uh, my dad was so humble, and like, it was he was a songwriter, but like, he'd come home and put on old pants and paint, you know. And he was, and I knew what he did. I went to a lot of the recording sessions. I went to the the shoots. I, in fact, I, I worked on a show called Boy Meets World that we shot at Disney Studios. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and we shot on stage two, which is the big stage at, at Disney Studios. And I knew that it was um, where they, Cherry Tree Lane was on that set. So I was working on the same thing. So I was always, but I always kind of, 
you know, he took, he was just like another movie. Here's you know, it wasn't he wasn't the celebrity or Hollywood kind of guy. And so um, I don't think I ever put it all together. But when we started doing this, I saw how many songs they had written and how many movies they had done and how we, we showed the film in Annecy, France for a big uh, film festival there. And we were swamped by hundreds of people that had international albums. And I think what I mostly learned was the effect that he had had on so many people. That, that their, their music had really reached, you know, across generations and, and, and countries and, and languages. And, and I think that is a tribute to them because musically and lyrically, they made everything not specific to, they, they got it down, they boiled it down to the essence of humanity and, and sincerity. And I think that's why even still those songs last. You know, they're not of the time, they're forever. That's what I learned, I think. Is it true that uh, Sister Suffragette was written during a lunch break? Yes, um, Glynis Johns, who was uh, Mrs. Banks in the movie, was invited to the studio, and everybody knew it was a big deal that Mary Poppins was being shot. It was a huge Disney, for Disney Studios, it kind of a huge thing. So she comes to lunch, and it's Walt and my dad and uncle and Glynis. And she sits down, she goes, I'm so honored to be here, and I would love to play the part of Mary Poppins. And they'd already gotten Julie Andrews. They just wanted her for Mrs. Banks, and they didn't know. And so Walt does his sales pitch to her and goes, oh, no, we want you to play Mrs. Banks. And the boys have written this great song for you that you're going to just love. Right, boys? And they look at each other like, mm. So they had written a song called, that got kicked out of the movie called Practically Perfect. There's one in the play now, but they didn't write that one. But it was called Practically Perfect. It went, practically perfect in every way, right? So they ran, they said, yeah, we're just going to go get our office ready and get this right. And they, so they're sitting there eating lunch. The, my dad with his cane and Dick, and they run over to their office. And they go up there and they cross off the lyrics for Practically Perfect and wrote, we're clearly soldiers in petticoats. So they wrote that song while they were paying the check. Another interesting story that, that people don't know is that uh, It's a Small World was, they, they got that assignment um, when the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis was going on. You know, everybody, you know, as you saw in the movie, and I'm sure half of you love it, and half of you go like, don't say that word again. <laughs> um, but, um, but that was a, a sincere, you know, thing that they were, you know, they really were worried about the world. Yes? Do you know why P.L. Travers disliked your father and uncle so? Many reasons. <laughs> um, she was very precious about her book. She didn't want anything to be changed. And she wanted to have English folk songs like Green Sleeves. She would sit there with them in the room and they'd play like Feed the Bird. She'd go, yeah, yeah, but I think we should have Green Sleeves play instead of that. Like she just didn't get it. Um, you know, if you read the Mary Poppins book, the first one, Mr. Banks is hardly in it. Um, he was away and he was doing stuff. And the original story, the screen story for Mary Poppins was written by my dad and uncle, even though they didn't get credit for it. And they brought the father in and gave that, that kind of a sense that the father was so involved in work um, that he was neglecting his children. And Mary Poppins is the, the, the vehicle for you know, changing all that for him. And uh, so, well, I think they were just at odds. Oh, you know, the interesting thing, though, I listened to all the sessions. It's, it's, painful to listen to them, 
But the sessions, they, she insisted on them being recorded so there was a record of it. So I would listen to all of them. She was so mean to them. She was just, and my dad's holding his temper and my uncle's saying the wrong things and all this stuff, but they got through it. She never came around. She didn't like the movie. She went to the premiere and cried all the way through it. And then walked out and said that thing to Walt, we gotta roll up our sleeves and get this right. In future books, she, she had like one chapter called Supercalifragilistic, you know. So she kind of came around then, not during the, the, the initial process. So it was just, you know, it's, it's very hard. I mean, I've adapted things with other writers, you know, from other writers' work. And you always feel like that's missing and that's not right. It's like, you kind of want it to be your expression. So I think that was probably at the heart of it. Anybody else? Any other dark stories I can tell you? <laughs> what kind of feedback did you get from your family? My dad and uncle were very, they were really encouraging at the beginning, although my dad was very private. And I promised him, I said, Dad, whatever you don't want in here, there's, it's 85% of the story, you know. There's 15% that I wouldn't tell. Um, uh, and I knew what he wouldn't want in there, different things, stuff that gets petty, and you, you don't want to show that anyway. But I told him, I, I said, here's my guarantee, whatever you want out, I'll take it out, you get, you get final cut. And, um, and same with my uncle. So they ended up loving it. In fact, I, I went to, uh, after the Annecy Film Festival in France, I got Disney to pay for me to take a stop in London so I could visit my dad and show him the reviews, and we got really good reviews on the movie. And he sat there and, and read through all of them. And he said, it's so great. He was really happy that we included my grandfather, too, because he was so important to all of us. Um, and uh, so he ended up you know, loving it. But he was scared because you know, it's revealing. I mean, think of anybody doing a movie about your life. I, I know I, I'm sure if my kids did it, I would go, no. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, you know, I, I think that ultimately they've come around and, and everybody loves it, you know. So, you know, it's, it really is a love letter to them, so how, how could you not like it? <laughs> There's a funny story about my dad. My dad was really humble, and for years he refused to have the Oscars and all. They, they had so many gold records, it was blinding. Um, and so he kept them all in his bathroom that I shared with him upstairs. And my mom used to, at every party, people go, oh, can we see the Oscars? And my mom would have to trot up the stairs, grab them in their heavy, and she'd bring them down, and the people would hold them, take the picture, and then she'd trot back upstairs. So at one dinner party, my mom said, excuse me for saying this, but she goes, damn it, Bob, I'm tired of walking up the stairs for this. I'm going to build you a room, and you're putting them downstairs here. So they built a room, she built a room for him. He ended up loving having it around. He sat in there all the time and read and stuff, so it was nice to have that all, all together. Beautiful film. Thank you very much. For Thank you. Here. Thank you, guys. So after the show, um, a small group of us went out to dinner with Jeff, and again, great Hollywood stories. And then we got him to the production of Mary Poppins. Um, very exciting to have him in the audience. He was able to greet the cast ahead of time and meet some of them, which was exciting, and they were nervous and thrilled and all at the same time. Um, several comments, people that were watching him during the show. I know, John, I think you said this, that you saw him wiping some tears. The, the word joy... And, and I think I even sent this in my message to you that night. I had never seen a crowd with tears of joy and just pure happiness. I, I, I think it was just amazing to have him there. It was amazing to have 
uh, other prominent Peorians in the crowd, including John Alois. And I really, I kid, but I, I'm still smiling uh, because I had four children of my own sitting there engaged. Not a single one of them was bored. Uh, sure, they know the story, but they just loved it. I should also say my wife loved it too. I don't want to <laughs> exclude her. But I, the smiles from the beginning through the show, after it was over, there was just a buzz about the place. And, and that's a kudos to you and, and everybody involved with the show, Sean. And Jeff stayed afterward and talked to anybody that wanted to talk with him. I think we were there another maybe 45, 50 minutes talking to we people. We left close to midnight. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and it was just a great evening. It, it definitely was. I made sure that I glanced over at uh, my family and John's family and Sean's family and everybody had a great time. And then during Spoonful of Sugar, there was no way I wasn't going to turn around and look directly at Jeff, the the inspiration for that song. So uh, that was a magical moment. You know, how many times have we heard that music throughout our lives? And here it is being performed brilliantly in front of a live audience by live musicians and live singers and we have the man who inspired the story sitting directly behind me and uh yeah just a great great opportunity yeah sean you mentioned how there were some nerves i didn't sense it at all during the show which is nothing but credit to a group of professionals is the word i will use because i'm sure of course there would be that nervousness to see him but man they they came off like pros it was fantastic well, that'll do it for us this week. Once again, follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Hub Hyperion. Email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review so more people find the show. Until next week, have a great one, everybody. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub. Hyperion.